fear. Fear. It's still to be determined who exactly won this week's midterm elections, but it's hard to argue against calling it a victory for fear by a landslide. On one side, there was a fear about a doomed future of democracy, of, of women's choice, of authoritarianism, of climate change. On the other hand, there was fear of inner city crime and open borders, or of spiraling inflation and an out of control agenda. And it all adds up to one thing, fear. In spite of all our gifts and treasures and graces, we are a nation, a society, a world that is caught up in fear. Which makes today's gospel reading kind of a sharp rebuke to our worries and doubts. Do not be afraid. Jesus' actual words are translated as do not be terrified. It resonates of the angel's words to Zechariah, be not afraid. And of Jesus' rebuke to the disciples when they are caught in a raging storm on the Sea of Galilee, do not be afraid. In fact, Jesus urges his listeners to not be terrified or afraid over 16 times in the Gospel of Luke. So why then are they so afraid? And more importantly, why are we? Now to be fair, fear is a legitimate response to what might be called the daily challenge of living. Fear is one of our first responses as a baby. In childhood, we fear what's under the bed or in the darkened closet. Acclaimed director Steven Spielberg talks about a particularly scary tree outside his window that kept him awake at night during his childhood. That tree would later make a cameo in his film Poltergeist, where it literally embraced and devoured his victims through its naughty exterior. We fear death even as we admit ourselves to its inevitability. Courage is defined as the opposite of this death fear. It's an acknowledgement of the command, do not be afraid. For the rest of us, though, we often, we always, maybe, find ourselves buffeted by fear. It's a response to the suffering and doubts that inhabit our daily lives, and it makes total sense. Now, today's gospel reminds us that fear is not the natural state of things in light of the risen Christ. In fact, hope and assurance are what we're called to feel because of that encounter with the risen Christ. But here's the thing. Even that doesn't mean that there won't still be suffering. In fact, today's reading speaks of a great deal of suffering. The temple's going to be destroyed. Wars and insurrections will happen all around. Nations rise against nation. Earthquakes, famines, plagues. And Jesus' followers won't be spared either. They will arrest you and persecute you, he warns them. See, it's tempting to use our faith as a kind of escape valve from the reality of suffering in our daily lives. We think and hope, or worse, are told again and again that suffering is the result of our errant ways, that sufferers somehow had it coming. And if only we lead righteous lives, Jesus will let us escape our pain. But today's reading suggests otherwise, doesn't it? It suggests that suffering and pain are part of the plan. And Jesus says as much in verse 9. He tells us, but these things must take place first. So it's all part of the grand plan, suffering and pain. And when you think about it, it has to be that way. 
I mean, think about it. What if Jesus had promised escape from pain, escape from suffering? Then what happens to that promise when the inevitable suffering and pain happens? What happens when we actually suffer pain, we suffer loss? See, the lived reality we experience every day includes suffering. It's a natural part of the experience of living. And that's why selling fear, or maybe sowing fear, is such a powerful tool for electioneers and gun manufacturers and arms dealers. Fear helps us make sense of the reality of suffering that is always just at the edge of our lives. Unable to be damped down by money or material goods or drugs and alcohol. Today's gospel shows another response to the lived reality of suffering and pain. Jesus seems to proudly announce it in verse 13. He says, this will give you an opportunity to testify. Now, we get a little, as Episcopalians, we get a little uncomfortable around this notion of testify. It kind of reeks of override evangelicals wearing their faith on their sleeve or of televangelists speaking the truth for the price of a donation. To some, it even reaches into those nether worlds of speaking in tongues and snake handling. But here Jesus is proudly telling us that this is our chance this is our opportunity to testify. We, the talk of pain and suffering and of testifying, as I sat with it this week, it led me to revisit an incredibly powerful book that I had not thought about or opened for a long time. And it's Viktor Frankl's searing 1965 book, Man's Search for Meaning. If you haven't read it, I really encourage you. In it, Frankel talks about his three years spent in Nazi concentration camps, specifically in Auschwitz and Dachau. And talk about suffering. Now, Frankel, a respected Vietnamese doctor before the war, was reduced to next to nothing. He no longer even had a name, but was known by his number, 119104. He and all the others in the camp were only a number, although the guards generally dehumanized them even further, calling them dogs and other names. He talks about the suffering in the extreme, loss in the extreme, being reduced to a slice of bread and a cup of water, a soupy water every day, a watery soup every day. He talks about how death was pervasive, whether through the Auschwitz furnaces or suicide or disease or just plain giving up. And Frankel evokes a number of feelings during his time in the concentration camps, but fear is hardly mentioned. Instead, he talks about things like shock and surprise, a sense of humor and apathy, but not fear. So in some of the most inhumane circumstances possible, when he's reduced to his bare essence, fear is not what he remembers. Toward the end of his time in the camps, Frankel talks about a shift that happened to him in him that changed his entire experience of life. It didn't make it any easier, mind you, or any less life-threatening. He still had tough stuff to go through, but there was a shift. He describes it as a light in the darkness. And he says, in a last violent protest against the hopelessness of imminent death, I sensed my spirit piercing through the enveloping gloom. I felt it transcend that hopeless, meaningless world and from somewhere, I heard a victorious yes in answer to my question of the existence of an ultimate purpose.
he found meaning. And what he did with that victorious yes, with that meaning, with that sense of purpose, speaks, I think, to what Jesus tells us, the opportunity to testify that we hear in the gospel. Now, as a doctor, he was a relatively valued resource in the, in the camps, which were constantly racked by typhoid or edema or infestations and other diseases. And one day, he and another prisoner had an opportunity to escape. It was late in the war, and the safety of the Allies would protect them if they could just make it to them, if they could just make it out. He's ready to leave, and he comes across one of his patients suffering from typhus and near death. And it had been his hope to keep this man alive. But the prospect of escape, of freedom, it loomed there right over the edge. And he recounts the exchange with the patient. He says, in a tired voice, he, the patient that is, asked me, you two are getting out. I denied it, but I found it difficult to avoid his sad look. Frankel was overcome by what he calls an unpleasant feeling that, that stayed with him until he decided to not escape, to stay with his patients. He writes, as soon as I had decided to stay with my patients, the unhappy feeling left me. I didn't know, did not know what the following days would bring, but I had gained an inward peace that I had never experienced before, never experienced before in the middle of a concentration camp. See, he had found or rediscovered maybe his meaning, his sense of purpose, and that discovery gave him hope under the most dire of circumstances. Now, he doesn't use these words, but that epiphany he had sounds a lot to me like, I will give you the words and the wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict from today's gospel. See, that discovery of meaning and its ensuing actions that, I think, is an opportunity to testify, isn't it, once we find our purpose. And Frankel wasn't alone. Later, he shares, we who lived in the concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way to find purpose. These people who survived the camps, they weren't full of fear or they weren't full of resignation, but they had what might be called testimony. Through words and actions, they testified to their power to choose living and to give that living, that purpose to others. Now, a few weeks ago, you may remember that we had Omar Shogre here along with the folks from the Syrian Emergency Task Force to discuss the situation in Syria. It's been likened by many and with great reason to a modern day Holocaust. Kind of like that experience by Viktor Frankl and the millions of others. And Omar recounted his own concentration-like, camp-like experience when he was imprisoned by the Assad forces and basically left to die. He was a healthy 15-year-old boy and was reduced to something like 75 pounds or less. So literally skin and bone. He told a story that day about a similar, that he was with us, about a similar kind of testimony that we hear in Viktor Frankl's story. He said he found purpose, he found meaning 
in helping the other prisoners around him. Whether it was comforting them or nursing them from their injuries or just listening, it gave him purpose. He stood among us in that room back in the education in the Linda Brown room nearly a decade after these events happened. And all I can say is that he took us to church. And I'm telling you, he preached. He preached about the redemptive power of purpose, the redemptive power of meaning. He preached of his own transformational experience. You know what he didn't preach about? Fear. He didn't even mention being afraid, but it doesn't mean that he wasn't. I mean, he was 15. I'm sure he was at times overcome with fear, but like Viktor Frankl, he testified to the opposite of fear. He testified to courage, to meaning, to confidence. Jesus said, but not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. I think they, these two cases show of how the soul is gained. See, a life lived in an encounter with the living Christ is not a painless life. It is not a life without suffering or loss or hurt, but it is a life lived with confidence, with meaning. Purpose is not, not in the big picture meaning of life stuff, but in the daily purpose that wills us to do what we are called to do. See, we too testify, not out of our fears or anxieties, but we testify out of confidence. For these things must take place first. And we say a resounding yes to life, or as Frankel puts it, a yes to life in spite of everything. For not a hair in our head will perish. By our endurance, we will gain our souls. Amen.